Welcome to Laugh Your Cry Out, the podcast that features unfiltered conversations about our collective mental health and where we make it easy to talk about the hard stuff. Nothing is off limits. After listening, you'll walk away smiling about the plight of being human and maybe even learn a bit about yourself. I'm your host, Joey Dumont. Let's dive into today's episode. Today on Laugh Your Cry Out, I have Dan Gutierrez as my guest. Dan was a sought-after executive coach, high roller, former advisor to the Obama administration, before he decided to hang it all up, give away everything he owned, and move to Peru to find himself. And boy, did he. Please listen in today and absorb the wisdom of the guru from Peru. So let me start by saying... I am so happy that you decided to do this. And I know that we met on Joseph Jaffe's show, right? where you're kind enough to come onto his show as well and talk about your journey and kind of where you came from. And I've read a lot of your stuff, but the one I want to focus on today is this book, book. Radical Mindfulness. Yeah. Because as impressed as I am with your background, you know, specifically, I think being an advisor to the Obama administration, that to me means a lot. <laughs> And, and not to take anything away from your $25,000 an hour keynote speeches, because that's impressive. <laughs> that's impressive. Uh, and, and as a businessman, I can, you know, I give you those kudos. But right. the neat thing for me was I started this podcast uh, because I wrote a book. And mm. the book was called Joey Somebody, The Life and Times of a Recovering Douchebag. <laughs> and it's all about... I, I, resemble, I resemble that remark. <laughs> <laughs> well, I figured we connect on that front for sure because even with uh, some of the story that you talk about, we, we have some commonality in New York City. Right. And part of the reason for the platform was to talk about things that our society just does not deem overly important. Right. And it has a lot to do with being real, being who you are, being true to yourself. Mm-hmm. admitting when you're scared or anxious or depressed or whatever the situation may be. And part of that was, I have two little boys now. And so <laughs> I wrote the book for them because I want them to have mentors and understand that their mentors are vulnerable right. and scared at times. Right. And then with the podcast, it's the same thing. I've been inviting guests on that I look up to, men and women that I want my children to look up to Right. And you met that criteria in spades. So I Thank just thought you. it would be Thank really you. cool to have you on the show and, and talk. And I kind of want this to be freewheeling in the sense that okay. if you have anything you want to ask me, please feel free to do so. Okay. I, again, read your book twice <laughs> and I took contemporaneous notes. And it was just one of those things where we have a similar upbringing in that I moved away from Minnesota when I was 14. Mm-hmm. My parents were divorced. And so a lot of the narrative in your book around how you, to pursue your life and your dreams, you moved away from your mom. Yeah, And so that really connected to me at the heart because right. I've been away from my mom now for 40 years, mm. from California to Minnesota. And obviously I see her a couple of times a year, but you know, even with my kids now, she's not down the street for right. the pop-in and bringing baked goods and things like that for me and babysitting my little boys. <laughs> right. <laughs> and babysitting. And I just thought, you know, the beginning of your story, because my mom's a devout Catholic, right. Was also very I just it just it was I understood it. Mm. And the one thing you didn't elaborate on, and you don't have to elaborate on it, but you became a Baptist minister <laughs> at 17. 17, yeah. Yeah. So you're a young guy and you were looking for 
God. Right. And also, by the way, before we go into that, you, you also write in your book somewhere, and I'm paraphrasing you, but you use the word God or consciousness or right. Krishna or right. Buddha or anybody whatever. loosely, right? So it's just right. whatever that you connect to right. as a higher being or flow. Yeah. Or So yeah, I just, but, but you did in, in that first stage of your life connect to God as a Baptist minister. And then you right. went to a party. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, said, I went to a party for 25 years. I didn't come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, the minister's party. Yeah, that the was the minister's an party. That's the one that broke the bubble. It was like, okay, yeah. this is all fake. And this that's, is all so fake. It was. It was just them doing the same yeah. thing that the rest of us were doing, like right. engaging and vibing in spirits. And yes, stuff. yes, yes. Okay. Well, under the under the umbrella of of being a minister, which is where I had my problem. You know, I didn't have a problem right. with what they did, but if you're going to lead, right a church or whatever it is that you're going to do, you might want to be honest. You know, they, they, they already know you're doing it for God's sake. Just tell them. <laughs> right. Yeah. He sees everything. Right. So yeah. Right. 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 And then from that, you, you kind of, well, I don't want to say spun out, but you then went right to alcohol as a comfort. Yeah. yeah. And you said you spent half your twenties. Most of my twenties. Partying and having yeah. fun. Yeah. I got out of my Yes. <laughs> well, and you also, and we don't have to, I don't want to labor on this because you have right. so much goodness in the book, but right. I wanted to touch on it because you've gone through this and mm -hmm. you actually got to the point where your abuse with alcohol and drugs was so bad that you woke up in the hospital. Yeah. Well, I wanted and, to die. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got, you even <laughs> made the joke. I can't even kill myself. <laughs> <can't>, right. <laughs> yeah, well, that was a thought I had and I opened my eyes. I went, are you kidding me? Yeah. Are you kidding me? I can't even get that right. You know, it's like, yeah. wow. But obviously there was more for my life than I saw at that time, you know? Right. Um, and, and that's why I guess I have so much compassion for people because I know, I know what it's like to live in a car. I know what it's like to be strung out. I know what it's like to almost kill yourself. I mean, it's like, I, I wish I didn't have all these check, 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 checks, but I do, you know, and yeah. that's what yeah. gives me the ability to, to have some deep compassion for people, even when they don't know. You know, right. you know, like yesterday, there was, I was just talking to a guy yesterday that says, Dan, I just want to die. You know, I, I can't get past this. And I said, you know what? I said, I know you won't believe this, but I know how you feel. I've been yeah. there and it will get better. And you just got to trust it's going to get better. And that's all yeah. you can do. And, and, you know, at the end of this, what seems like a freight train that's about to hit you uh, is, is, is really the light at the end of the tunnel and it will show up. You just got to be one to look at it and go toward it, you know? So these, these are things that I think made me a great leader because yeah, yeah, yeah. when a kid came in and I knew he was hung over, I didn't blast him and fire his butt right off the bat. You know, I sat down and said, what's going on, man? Yeah. What are you trying to cover up? <laughs> <laughs> or forget about? I'm yeah. like, no, you know, it's not happening. I even had people steal from me, you know, working at Best Buy, I had a, uh, an employee steal $26,000 cash from me and then you know after I obviously checks and balances there's checks and balances and cameras you know yeah, yeah. I, I finally found out who it was and I said why he said I had to pay my bills I said that's not the reason to steal that much cash from anybody you can go to prison for a long time yeah you know so I, I you know I forget about that stuff sometimes you know because it's been a while but at the same time like yesterday I have a, a vet who's in, in dire need and doesn't want to be here anymore, you know? And, and it's those moments when I remember, I'll remember you weren't 
you weren't too far from this guy, you know, many, many yeah. years ago and have that compassion, even with all the accolades that I have, you know, it's like, right. All that stuff is just stuff. I tell you all the time, oh, it's just going to be so impressed. It's just, it's just, you know, I, 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 this is my third interview today in an interview. I told him, I said, you know, I wasn't successful because I was good. I was successful because I feared failure. Yeah. And I didn't want to fail because I remember the drug days and, you know, the crazy days and the parties. And, you know, I mean, and, and I guess that's what happens. You can go from a minister and going, heck, I, I'm not being that straight anymore. <laughs> you <know? laughs> go overboard. <laughs> go the opposite way. Oh, way opposite. Yeah. Way on the other side. <laughs> well, I've done that too. And I know exactly what that feels like. Feeling thick as a brick in the morning and having the, the shame spirals and the freeze frames of anxiety. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that's awful. It's, it's not a fun way to live. <clears throat> no. And as I mentioned, your corporate career was very impressive. But I think the neat piece about the book, and what I really wanted to talk about was even your moment at the Grand Havana cigar, yeah. or the Grand Havana yeah. room. In you know where that's City. at, right? <laughs> I do. I actually been there because my buddy actually has a locker and he was ah, so there excited. You go. Yeah, so did I. <laughs> he was so excited about getting it and he took us in there and he showed us and we smoked, you know, the, the yeah. cabanas of the of course. The, of course. The, the Cuban cigars and we, you know, overlooked the the small people <laughs> yeah. from the thirty ninth floor. That's and right. you know, I was in the media business and my buddies and I were, as we talked about, killing it. You know, we were yeah. making tons of money. We were yeah. the big executives at different companies. We were all together sharing right. leads and friends and deals. And we had a great time. And, you know, I've had similar moments. And, and you, that was your moment though, right? Yeah, That's the moment you talk about in your book where you look yeah. out on the snowy streets of New York and you're yeah. like, oh man. And oh, it was man. it a voice? Was it like yeah, your inner voice? Yeah, was like, yeah. hey, what, what are you what, doing? What values did you sell to get where you're at? Yeah. What values did you sell? And, and that goes back to being a minister. Who, who have you become? Yeah. To get where you're at. So in order, in order for me to be in the position I was at as president, I mean, I was president, I was an entrepreneur running an organization of C-suite people that worked for Hewlett Packard, that worked for all the big companies, you know, and they hated that I was an entrepreneur because they were like, you're not one of us. You don't know anything. Right. I'm, like, I'm still your president. Right. But, you know, <laughs> in being in that position and having to look away as they destroyed careers and, you know, and, and acting like I didn't see it and always being like, oh, you know, this is not the cool, you know, you're not. And I would always tell them as an organization, I don't care. You, there's no there's no reason to be elitist because you make more money, you know, or, or you've earned the right. So you haven't earned the right to be rude. And they would always just look at me like, you know, this is why you shouldn't be our president. <laughs> But I was a president for several years and, and transformed the organization. But yeah, that moment, so I could just, it was just like, okay, uh, I've done everything society said I'm supposed to do. And I've done it and I'm doing it. And, and you know what? I'm not happy. This is, this is BS. I'm not doing this anymore. And I, I mean, when I say I walked away, I walked away. I mean, to walk away from my, my you know, global membership of high level clubs and yeah, yeah I, that was hard. You know, because all of a sudden I was looking around going, oh, my gosh, what have you done? It's kind of funny because as I was coming here, as I was coming to L.A., I saw my friends going into the um, uh, the lounges. And I don't the have Soho that, Club. all that stuff anymore, right? I don't have yeah. that. So I was like, wow. 
Well, good for them. And then I got upgraded to first class and they had to walk past me. <laughs> See, there you go. Well, yeah. I'll say this. There's, it doesn't matter where I go on the evolutionary cycle of spirit. I will always enjoy first class. Yeah, right? Well, <laughs> it's just well, better. It's yeah, just well, so it's much funny better. Is that, you know, I'm sitting there going, you know, yeah. the people getting on the plane and go, how'd you do that? I said, I don't know. Magic. I'm yeah. a spiritual guru. I'm the guru yeah. from Peru. That's so right. I, I'm I the got... guru from Peru. That's a, that's a tagline. <laughs> I got upgraded. Yeah. Just deal with it. Yeah. yeah. No, it. it's, you touched on something there, the constructs of our society. Yes. As a man, and this is part of the underlying narrative of my book, is that we equate success as a culture to yeah. financial success. Yes. It's not, you also made the transmission, the trans, the transformation from success you had it defined under fear and stress, and then you moved it to inner peace. Yeah. It was that was, I'm still a business guy. You know, I was, in another interview, I was saying, look, I'm, my goal is to open three Catalinas in Peru, you know, in Lake Titicaca and in, in the jungle. I said, I'm still um, uh, advising uh, political people in Peru and Machu Picchu and Cusco congressmen. I said, but, it's not from the space that I, it wasn't from ego. It wasn't from, look at this. They're seeking me out and I'm giving them the advice they're looking for. And I'm going, okay, I'm not interested any more than that. Thank you. You know, and, and, be, and be able to do that. And, you know, cause my business acumen is like a PhD from Harvard in Peru. There's just not that. Okay. So I can see things so fast, you know, and say, Hey, listen, if you really change this, things could be different you know, or the way that you're processing your water plants or whatever it is that they're doing, you know, just, it's been a blessing. You know, I, 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 when I got here and got on 405, I was like, Oh God, you know, I'm back on a big freeway. What do I do? <laughs> There's no llamas, no pigs, no, <laughs> no mosquitoes. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited um, that I told someone yesterday, I said, I said, how's it feel to be home? I said, I'm not home. My home's in Peru. Yeah. I said, I'm visiting. I have no intentions of coming back. They went, whoa. You went, you may, when you said you dropped it all, you're in your late 40s, yeah. right? When you're at the top of the, yeah. literally the top. Of literally the literally sitting on the 39th floor, yeah. Yeah. Look, and I love that, looking at the little people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that was part of my huge ego back then. But yeah, the of course, idea well, mine there. too. You know, look at me, look at me. I've got a $17 yeah. suit on and shoes. Right. <laughs> Which I gave yes. away to them, by the way. And so that's that was my next question is what did that mean? Did you just bail? I bailed. Gave everything and moved directly to Peru. I, yeah, I have nothing here. Nothing. I own nothing. Wow. I have nothing. I don't even have a car. The car that I left my son to drive so that when I came back I'd have one, he totaled it. <laughs> well, he's okay, right? Yeah, he's fine. Okay, well, that's good. But he totaled so it. When you, when so you got nothing. to when you got to Nepal. And I'm, this is paraphrasing, but you got there and you met with a monk and uh -huh. you said, I feel like I've been here before. Yeah. And yeah, he, he made said, me cry. Yeah. And he said, because, because you have welcome back. He says, he says, welcome back. Right? brother." Yeah. Welcome back. And I brother. knew that in another past life I'd been there because yeah. I was like, you know, deja vu. What most people don't understand about deja vu is deja vu is an experience that a human has of an experience the soul has experienced already. Not we as human beings, because we, we, we can't know that. But when our soul, because it, it's been through different lifetimes, gets in a space where it goes, 
wow, this looks familiar. It's like the souls inside going, recognize, mm-hmm. recognize something here. I've yeah. been here. You haven't been here, but I've been here. Right. And, 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 and that was, you know, I looked over at the monk and I said, brother, I feel, I just feel like I've been here. Like it's home. It's just welcome back. And I just like broke down. I was like, wow. I bet. I mean, that fast. He didn't like think about it. He didn't, he just said, welcome back. And, and the two places in the world that I felt that way was Nepal and, and uh, Peru. That's so cool. Yeah. And then <clears throat> how long did you hang out in Nepal? Not, not long, long enough to, to know that I didn't want to be a monk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, uh, it was an interesting journey for me there. Um, but you know, like I said, I, I went, I studied, I studied with a little bit with them. I meditated with them a little bit and I, I just couldn't do their thing. I mean, all they do is meditate and clean bathrooms. It's like, oh no. Right. I wasn't, my ego hadn't gone that far down. <laughs> okay. How about I give you a donation and I just, you know, see you later. <laughs> That's And so then you mentioned that you kind of did, and this is where we have a lot in common. I had at 30, I was in business with my pops uh-huh. and he embezzled all my money. And I'll spare you the story, but I was yeah. obviously pretty upset. Right. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I was six figures in debt. I was betrayed by my dad. Wow. The rent I was paying him to live in the apartment it was his condo, so I was paying him. He wasn't paying the rent. So two weeks later, I got evicted. Oh, no. And then I was like, okay. So as a young guy, you kind of touch things. Right. My car, my suits. I had yeah. custom suits that I loved. And overpriced shoes and fancy ties. But none of that really helped when I, I was even in had Trump space. ties. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, right. I love that you admit that because I, I actually didn't have Trump ties. I did have Trump ties. They, they weren't even they weren't even Trump good enough. The <laughs> <laughs> bottom on a bottom on uh, Fifth Avenue. I was going to say that's where they sold them, manufactured in China and sold on yeah. Fifth and Eighth. Yeah. yeah, for way too much money. Of course, that's what he did. So I I didn't know what to touch, and so I started the first time reading spiritual texts. Uh-huh. I read. Paramahasa Yogananda wrote a book called The Autobiography of a Yogi. Right. And very powerful book. I'm sure you've heard of it. And so I, I loved him. And then he started the SRF Fellowship. So I right. went to some of his actual gardens and protective lands. And I first time ever started meditating and reading. And the, his translation of the Bhagavad Gita was my favorite because right. obviously I don't read Sanskrit. So I was one of those things. Oh, like, hey, this helps. Um, but that was the first time I was 30 and I spent that whole year wrapped around these texts. Also reading everything I could, the tippy taka and the Quran and and just anything that I could get my hands on. Mm -hmm. And I started rock climbing. So I met some guys in an indoor climbing gym. And then soon after they're like, dude, you got to come outside with us. And that was a transformational moment because when you start getting outside, you're actually touching the mountain you're right. hanging out with dudes that don't give a shit what you do for a living. Right. You know, they lived in a van and we were eating like chili out of cans and we're getting stoned at night and we're climbing the mountains all day. And then, you know, we just go out and look for problems. Like, right. oh, look at that problem. Look at the, let's hit that crack today and let's do this. But these guys didn't care. And so that was the first time where I was like, oh, this is super cool. And then I reprised enthusiastically my role as a douchebag about a year later. I went back to corporate America, bought another fancy German car, 
And right. then I didn't really get back to spirit until I was in my early 40s. And so it was like mm. that whole that whole 30s was all just a blur of hedonism and German cars and suits. And, and then I got into the ad biz, which to this day is still one of the greatest career moves ever. Met right. some of the greatest people in my life, my wife included. Right. But I share that with you because you you got into it. Was there any specific teaching that hit you hardest or that you absorbed most? Well, you know what I did is I read all the books at the same time in one year. <clears throat> so okay. I, Muslim, Islam, uh, everything. I, I took them and I put them side by side. Yeah. And I said, I'm going to read them all. I want to read a pat just like I would read the Bible, a, a page, a, a section at a day to get yeah. through it in 365 days. I did the whole, all of them. It was 12, 15 books, Confucius, yeah. all of them. And every okay. day I would sit down and read. And I wanted to do that because I, I want for myself, I wanted to know who's right. Yeah. Who's right. Well, at the end of the end of the end of the story is they are all the same story. with different. Right. It's all the same story. I was going, wait a minute, yeah. you guys, it's the same yeah. story with a different Jesus, Muhammad, you know, it was, all different. it was changed. Yeah, it was changed. And so that was very important for me to just get out of the way, you know, considering my upbringing. Uh, but the only book that, and, and I just shared this with um, someone on another interview, I said, you know, this is going to sound crazy, but if I, if I look back at that time at a book that changed my thinking in order for me to become who I became and who I am today, it was the book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. I said, and the reason I say wow. that is because when someone gave me that book, I threw it on the counter and said, I don't do Avon. <laughs> this is an Avon book. I'm not reading it. I'm not reading it. It's stupid. Who can think and grow rich? It's a stupid thing. I'm never reading it. I don't know why you gave it to me. Well, it sat there forever until one day I was just like desperate. And that book kept looking at me, right? And then I finally yeah. picked it up and read it. And I thought, that, that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And, and then, you know, I made this deal with God. I said, God, okay, look. Either I get this right or I go back to work. I'm going back to the <laughs> corporate world. I'm putting on my fancy, like you, get my fancy suit, get my German car. And I know how to do that. Yeah. I know how to do that. <laughs> right. so, so I'm going to give you a year, like I could, like I could wager with God. You know, I'm going to give you a year and I'm going to do right. 150% this thinking, this, this, you know, transmutation and all this stuff. And my whole life just changed. It was like, wow. It was like my, my eyes opened up. And, and, you know, I taught from the book for a long time. Uh, and the funny thing about this trip is that a young lady in PSAC said to me, uh, uh, Mr. Gutierrez, you know, if you could recommend a book for me, what would you recommend? I said, mm -hmm. I, I know you're not going to believe this because your culture believes in being poor. But there's a book called Think and Grow Rich. I was telling her in Spanish. I said, I'm going to buy it. I have two copies in my suitcase right now. I said, I'm going to buy the book. One, I'm going to give to you. And two, I'm going to teach all you people here in PZAC for free what I know. Because you can't afford me anyway. <laughs> I don't want your five soles, your 10 soles. But it's like, what if I can help transform a, a thought process? You know, where, you know, I remember when I would say to people that people say that God loves the poor. I don't know if you've checked lately. He loves the rich too. Yeah. He loves everybody. So what side do you want to play on? I'd rather write the check for the school, not beg for it. 
Right. And that, that's what gets their their heads going, going, you know, okay, so you are you telling me that God hates rich people? He doesn't. There's there's bad people that are poor and bad people that are rich, period the end. You know, so that book to me, uh, when I think about it, and, and another one that that I said earlier was also very instrumental was uh, The Agony and Ecstasy of Michelangelo, written by Irving Stone, out of print since the 60s. I read that book several times. The Agony and the Ecstasy of Michelangelo. Because Michelangelo, who, who became one of the greatest artists of all time, came from a financial company. He was supposed to be a banker. And so everything he did was opposite yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, what, of what his dad wanted to do. <clears throat> right? And it was like, I'm, I'm an artist. And, and so nobody would take him in as an apprentice. So he did it for free, you know, until somebody went, dude, you're talented, right? And um, I think that one of his most famous quotes was in an interview that he did. They, you know, he did the Michelangelo's David, right? The, it's huge. I don't know if you've been to Florence and seen it, but I've seen it. I have. It's huge. And the rock that he carved that out of was three times bigger than David of marble. It was huge. And someone asked him, how did you do that? I mean, because it's so meticulous. His muscles, everything, right? And um, he said, oh, that was easy. He was always in there. I just let him out. You know, and that became a powerful thing about that there's magic in me. I just got to let it out. I got to find a way to chip away at all this stuff that I've been going through and find the, the gold underneath it, you know, and, and that, that, those two, that those two books played a big role in, in how I saw life, you know, even when things were tough, uh, because, you know, they definitely got tough. Um, but you know, today, I mean, there's nothing, I, I think about COVID and, and being in, um, uh, in, in, uh, Peru during this time. And I'm going, this is not the worst I've been through. Right. <laughs> you know, I've been through a lot worse. I can handle this one. You know? <laughs> and so the books, cause the same thing, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I think that I found out that all religions played the same game on different boards with different rules, right. the same destination. And that if you really look at everything, it's presence. Yeah. So it doesn't yeah. matter what it is. It's, it's if you're thinking about the past, you're thinking about the future. Right. You're not present. If you're not present, that's peace. And that's yeah. what every guru, every God, every spiritual right. text says, hey, are you there? And we'll get to that because you talk about it. I A lot. Brilliant yeah. detail. Another thing that's going on big in our culture today and part of Peru is the ayahuasca stuff yeah, and the healings and the shamans. And a lot of that has to do with our culture being, I think, statistically teetering into danger zone as far as depression, anxiety, and people are looking for people. Are, yeah. People are scared. But that's the wrong reason to be diving into that stuff. Well, that's a, that's why I want to ask you a question. Cause you talked about Wachuma. Yeah. And that was that your first time with a psychedelic? When you got to Peru? The, yeah, the first time I ever did it, yeah, I was I was sitting there. Now imagine me, I'm still the corporate guy, you know, <laughs> going, I don't do drugs, what's wrong with you? I mean, because right. I didn't tell him I was doing drugs when I was in my 20s, but, <laughs> you know, I'd done it already, but not psychedelics. And I was like, no, I had, you know, oh, I, can't, I don't want to do that. No, I'm not doing it. Everybody else can do it. I'll just sit here and watch. Right. And the shaman talked me into it. And he said, what do you got to lose? What is your deepest question in life? No. Well, okay. So what happens in Peru stays in Peru, right? <laughs> okay. So I did, I did it. And, and it was the single reason why I'm in Peru today. That experience. Yeah. 
because that opened up. And then since then, I've done Wachuma many, many times and I've done Ayahuasca 14 times, but I've done it in the jungle, not in Detroit, not in L.A., in the jungle with someone that's a practitioner that knows what they're doing. Um, and uh, I can tell you, I can't quantify this, but I, I said once, I said, I don't know what I had. Because a lot of my family have died of diabetes and cancer. And um, I said, but something in me, like it popped. Something was healed within me that I have no idea what it was, but I know it's healed. And I had suffered through periods of depression throughout all my 20s, you know, and that was gone. And I think that's why people are seeking this out because there's so many studies right now, including UCLA did one a couple of years ago. Uh, and they're the only bad thing they said they could find about ayahuasca was that you had to throw that you threw up mm -hmm. and not everybody throws up, but there's part of the process. So I think that there, that we have uh, medicine that can heal people, plant medicine, uh, but our society, our society constructs are so off about what we should and shouldn't do that I think that slowly we're evolving towards something different. But whatever we believe in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s, 50s, and then we got into the 60s and went crazy, I think is an old construct. And, and we need to change those thought processes so that, you know, it's kind of like legalizing pot in California and, and Denver and Colorado. They're going to seek it out anyway. They're going to seek it out anyway. Why don't we have some, some, some way to make sure that people are safe? Because the biggest issue I have with people doing ayahuasca and wachuma here in the States is it's not regulated. And, and really, it can be very, very dangerous. Um, and, you know, mixed with ayahuasca is a vine that's mixed with several plants to get the effect that they want. If the plants aren't the right plants, they're deadly to humans. And, and so we may not hear about it, but it's happening. Yeah, no, that's, that's, I've read this book called The Immortality Key. It's written by a guy named Brian Marusco, and, and he studies that. And it actually goes all the way back to ancient Greece before it was the road to Eleusis. It was the religion without a name. It all existed before. And the Kukion was a similar DMT type hallucinogen where Marcus Aurelius and those cats were like playing spiritual realm and they were drinking it and they were having a blast and they were talking to God, whatever God was back then, but they were. And so it's, it's now becoming part of the culture. I shouldn't, I don't know if it's from part of the culture, but I'm reading a lot about it. I have through my life suffered episodic depression. My little brother died from depression. Yeah. My older brother wants to die from depression. And I know you lost siblings too. Yeah, I did too. Sorry about that. Uh, Cause there is nothing like that. It changes right. uh, your whole perspective on life. And the only good thing, I think you probably gathered this too, and I'm just gleaning this from our conversation so far, is that your empathy was born from some of this tragedy. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What I experienced, I wouldn't wish on anybody. Yeah. I wouldn't wish on anybody. Uh, but it was my path. I, I, I don't know that I know anything else. You know, when people really sit down and ask me the tough questions, I don't shy away from them. I say, look, I'm uh, one of the things I've learned most about life. And <laughs> you'll laugh at this probably, but I still do stupid things every day. Every day. I haven't stopped doing stupid shit. I have not. I have not. The difference is 
that I laugh about and go, okay, maybe you shouldn't do that again. Yeah. Instead of where the depression comes from, right? And then you can't control it. And then you want to die. Now I just laugh about it and go, wow, you're 57 years old and you're still doing stupid stuff, man. I mean, are you ever going to stop? <laughs> that makes me laugh. I'm laughing because I'm 54 and I still do stupid shit every day. I, I mean, I wake up sometimes and go, what was I thinking? But that was a lot of fun. I'm not going to do it anymore. Yay. Yay for me. But I don't, I mean, I would spend years beating myself up over stuff. Thinking that, you know, I'm a poor human, you know, and how could I do this? And, you know, it's not worth it. You just laugh it off and go, don't do it again. Yeah. Move on. Move on. It is. Because I think part of that for me was, and even writing my own memoir, most of it is me ripping on myself. Yeah. I have, it's, it's been published now for three weeks and the reviews are very similar. I laughed. I cried. I cried cringed because <laughs> talking about you know how important it is to be at the top of the, the the food heap and like oh look at me i'm better than you and and it's just so pathetic and sad so it's those kind of things i think where if you can laugh at yourself and i think that's kind of the arc of the story is that i've been a stay-at-home dad for the last four years good for you taking care of my kids and coaching three of their sports and drive them to school every day pre-covid anyway and so I've got to spend more time with my little boys than, because my dad split when I was a kid. So it was like, I didn't want to do that, obviously, right. with my dudes. And that's been the greatest thing ever because it wasn't part of the societal construct that we were, I think we both- Not the one we came from. Sucked into, right? It's, yeah. Oh, you're not supposed, it's not masculine to be a daddy and right. take care of your kids and cook them breakfast and drive them to school. And I have an executive wife. So that's also something where, I do what I can to help her because she's really busy yeah. and she's taking care of us. Right. And so it's one of those things where it, I just love that you bucked the system and, and then reinvented yourself because that's to your point, you're, you're still a businessman. Yeah. You're just doing something from your soul as opposed yeah. to it's not the same. Press yourself. No, it's not the same. Yeah. Yeah. The pathetic thing about most of success is that, Hey, look at me. You know, and your people are like, who's, who are they? They're just people on the street. And That's right. Nobody cares. Take, take Anthony Robbins and put him on the street. Nobody knows who he is. Exactly. I mean, some people will, but the majority won't. Who cares? Right. We build this facade about who we are. Don't you know who I am? Nobody. <laughs> and I think I said this with you in the, the brief email we shared back and forth. In 2017, you got an email that you need to come home. Yeah. Right. And that yeah. was, there's a lot in here. And depending on how much you want to talk about it, it was, that was my favorite part of the book. It yeah. was, as I already mentioned, I was, I've been distant from my mom. So I had the same guilt you do. Right. I talk to her. About, she would keep saying, when are you coming home, mijo? Right. Yeah. And you were like, mama, <laughs> I'm not. You have, to, you have to share me with the world. I would tell her. You have to share me with the world. Yeah. And and when you don't think I regretted those words. <laughs> and, and you talk about that in the book. Yeah. When you got back, is that did I? Am I going to regret saying those words? And then what yeah. you went through with your mom. Yes. With your ceremony. Yes. Condor. Yeah. Feathers. feathers. And the the healing. You know, I don't know. Palo Santo. The Palo Santo. 
Thank you. The smoke. Tell me, yeah. tell me a little bit about that ceremony and where that came from and how. Yeah. Well, this, you know, the, the, the thing that, you know, when I got the call, obviously uh, I had been on my, you know, I'm going to go find myself trip and, uh, and actually was getting to a point where I was going, okay, how am I going to make money? It's <laughs> starting to run out, you know? Um, I think I think that the first part was when I was in the hospital with her. That happened first, and then I went and did the ceremony for her right. because right. we took her home. And and if you ever, I mean, it's so hard to explain uh, this because it's so so even three years later, still raw and yet beautiful. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not sadness from. It, it, it's joy and happiness from something I, I could have, I mean, no drug gave me that kind of euphoria. No, nothing gave me that kind of connection to something that was so much bigger than me. And and I remember being in her hospital room um, and I had just gotten back and my brothers and sisters had been taking care of her. And I said, well, why don't you guys go home? Let me be with her alone. Let me, she was in a hospital and all this stuff hooked up to her and, it just wasn't mom, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm just staring at her. And that's when I started going in the book. I talk about, I started to feel sorry for myself. Uh, you know, my ego was struggling with, you know, what a horrible son you were to pursue your life, even though that's what she wanted, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that you wouldn't even come home and you didn't bring your son back enough, you know, to visit with grandma and blah, blah, blah. I was, I was, and then there was the other side of me that was going, but I want my mommy, the little boy in me was like, I'm losing another parent because my, my dad had gotten killed in that car accident when I was five. So it was like, now I'm an orphan, you know? So poor me, poor me, poor me, right? And I'm staring at her. And, and all of a sudden in my body, I could feel her organs in my body. And, and, and I could feel her organs failing in my own body. And I was freaking out because it's about two in the morning. And I'm looking, I'm going, what, what's happening to me? Why am I feeling this? You know, and, 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 and I didn't know what was happening. And then I was like, I looked down, I looked back up and, I, and at her bed. And it was just light. I thought, oh my gosh, she died. You know, what, what's, what's happening here? And then I looked at my hands and I was light. There was no Daniel, there was no mom. There were two souls. And, and, and this is what I learned about that moment. My entire life up to that point, Every lesson, every trip, every heartache, every heartbreak, everything was was designed for me <clears throat> to get really present in that moment. The things I learned from the monks, the things I learned from the in the Amazon, in the Andes, it was practice what you learn. This is your, your, your one shot. This is your one shot. And all of a sudden I can remember, get present, get present, get present, get present. As you said, this is what we're taught. And, and I, there I am in front of this, this light. And it was almost like we both died or something. It was weird. And this soul says to me, many lifetimes before we incarnated into this relationship, mother and son, into this body, you made me a promise. And I, I got scared because I was like, you said that you would be here when I needed you most. And you are. I now release you from your contract with me. You are free to go. I just started crying. I was like, it was like a gift. Like, because I always felt the guilt 
with my mom. I always felt that guilt, you know, and, and, and I, I always felt like I was, I was letting her down because I was pursuing my dreams, even though she was very proud of my work. I could always tell she just wished she had a little Danny boy. I'm the oldest, her little Danny boy there, you know, and, and yet in when it was where it mattered, she said, you did the right thing. You are free to go. And it was, I mean, people thought I was weird because I, I was smiling, you know, at, at the, in the funeral, I went shopping. She and I went shopping, bought me a big cowboy hat in Florida in, um, in, in uh, Fort Worth. But the next day we decided to take her home. And that's when I did the ceremony and I'm laying in bed. This is, this is Valentine's day. So I don't think of Valentine's day the same anymore. It was Valentine's day. And spirit says, do your ceremony. I'm like, mm-hmm. My family will think I have lost my crackers, <laughs> and, but I had everything with me. I brought it. Right. <laughs> anyway, I said, wait a minute. If I get up really fast, there's nobody up except the lady who's taking care of the hospice nurse. So I can do this, get it done and get out. So that's when I did the ceremony for her. And, and, and I just whispered, go home in her ear, go home. It's okay. You know, and, and I could, I could see her body relax. She'd been like this cause they had her on morphine, you know, and she relaxed a little bit and I could tell that it, that something was happening with her. So I went in the next room and my mom and her sense of humor says my brother comes running out into the living room says mom says to come do it again everybody's in there now <laughs> she says oh no you're not getting out that easy <laughs> so i went back in there and 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 my stepfather's like well, are you killing her what are you doing i'm not killing her <laughs> i mean i'm i'm just trying to ease her pain in this lifetime yeah. in this space he didn't understand. You know, we always fought, so he didn't understand. My brothers and sisters were just like, oh, Lord. But I did the ceremony again, but this time, I had a Vogel crystal in my medicine bag I had on that day. A Vogel crystal was pointed on both ends. It was a very powerful tool. Spirit says, give it to us. I said, I cost some money. <laughs> I'm still the same. What are you talking about? What's she going to do with it? Give it to her. You know, here, here again, I don't, I never really felt mom knew who I was. She knew I was in business, but she didn't know what I was doing, you know, later on in life. And so I took the vocal out and because it was sharp on both ends, I didn't want her to have it because I was afraid she'd cut herself. So I put it above her bed and someone said, well, what's that? And I said, well, she'll need it in the afterlife. And they went, oh Lord. That's all I could say. I got home. I got home. Uh, I took my, my son back to school. It was uh, Valentine's Day after Valentine's Day, and she passed away. My sister called and said, Mom passed away. I said, I know. I felt it. She says, um, that crystal that, that you left her, do you want it back? I said, why? Because she died with it in her hand. And I went, what? She died with the rosary in one hand and your crystal in the other. She knew who you were. And I just, I was just like, wow. Even in her last moment, even with my, all the guilt that I had felt, she was just saying, it's okay, son. You're still my son. Right. And, and I buried her with that. I buried her with that crystal sheet, you know, in her hand. And I remember getting to the funeral and uh, I had one more thing I needed to do. And, you know, I come in here with my cowboy hat and 
you know, I wouldn't take it off in church because I said it was ridiculous. What's God got to do with my head? You know, and they're like, oh, he's blasphemous and he won't take off his hat, you know? And I said, I told my brothers and sisters, I, I, I need to ask you for something. They were like, oh, Lord, what is it? I said, the crystal needs the companion. And they said, what's that? I said, the condor feather has to go with her. And they agreed to it. And I put the condor feather in there. And she was buried with the condor feather on her across her chest and the bogle in her hand and the rosary in the other hand. And, and I felt complete. I felt complete, you know, and I felt free. That's why I, I made her a promise when, when I was in a hospital. I don't know if she remembered or she heard it, but I said, you know what? There's three things, mom, I'm going to do. One, I'm going to write a book and talk about this experience so I can memorialize your, your name and your, who you were and the heart you had. Second, I'm going to, I'm going to open a retreat center and call it Catalina. So people never forget who you are. And third, I'm going to, I was 55 pounds overweight. And I said, I'm going to lose the weight because I can't bear to think that I'm, that I would die because of my own habits, not because I had something. And so I lost the 55 pounds. You know, I obviously wrote the book, Radical Mindfulness. And the first part of it's about her. And then I, I built a center in Peru, you know, it's beautiful. And, and, uh, I, we now have like, uh, just coming here, I have coffee with her picture on it, you know, and, and my aunts and uncles going, she would be so proud. And I said, thank you. I said, I just keep doing things to say, I know you're there, mom. I know you're there. I know you, I know, I wish I had done this when you were alive, but I know you see what I do on that and that other realm. And I think that this, I think as, as people, and I'm talking from an executive standpoint, we strive to do the best we can to provide for our families and, and to build our ego by the accolades and the magazines and the people and the women or whatever you want to call it that are around us. And it's empty. It's so empty. You know, and I played that game for a long, long time and I was good at it. But today, when I get up in the morning and, I, and when I walk across my floor, it squeaks because it's wood. You know, if I'm in the bathroom, I can see the mountain because they, the way that they ventilate has no way. <laughs> it's crazy. You know, and I think about, you know, being at the Havana Club going, I was at the top of my game and now I've got rain coming down as I go to the bathroom. You know, and and I wake up in the morning and I, and, and I, have, to, I have to, there's no hot water in the sink. So I have to heat water to wash my dishes. I have to heat water to make my coffee, you know, so I'm heating this stuff up. And I just I have this huge smile on my face, you know, because I was like, oh, when did this happen? You know, and I get my coffee and I go outside like I do every morning and my, I let my dogs out and we, and we all take a walk around. I make sure that my llamas and my, my chickens and my, my rabbits and, and all my animals are okay. And there's something that happened to me that I've never experienced before. It's better than anything I ever did or took or ingested. And that is my soul smiles from the inside out. My soul smiles. It feels like I'm in heaven every day when I walk that property. Every day I feel like I, I, could, I could die today and I'd be okay. And I even told my son that. I said, son, I want you to know something about your dad. I've made peace with death and I've made peace with life. Don't feel bad for your dad. If, if, if it's time for me to go and I go, just know that your dad has lived many lifetimes 
on this planet. And I've accomplished everything I, I set out to do. Now I just want to live. I want to live until I die. And every day I will live at fullest by being present, being mindful, and making sure that I make the biggest impact every single day. And that's a gift my mother gave me when she said, you are free to go. You have done what you were set to do in this lifetime. The rest is all you. And that freed me. That freed me to just soar. And, you know, that, that is to me like, you know, and I understand guilt and I understand, you know, God, poor, you know, I, my poor mom, you know, and she would see me more on television than she would in person, <laughs> you know, and it's like, wow, what a life today, you know, and, you know, my son, oh, I, I told him, I said, you know, one of these days you're going to need old dad to probably make a phone call. I said, I can. I said, but work it out on your own. Work it out on your own. You'll be glad you did. And you may say a lot of things about your dad. I said, but I built a network in this country to support you if you needed it. But work it out on your own. And when you need dad, I'll make the phone call. And that, that's just, that's life, man. It's beautiful. It really is. That was my favorite part your mom and your relationship and you getting over all of that guilt and yeah. all the societal constructs that are kind of wrapped up in your manhood. And then, which I think is probably a good thing we can start with. Mindfulness is just awareness. Radical mindfulness is awareness backed by commitment, consistency, and action, which is your exact words. Right. And then you talk about the six steps necessary to achieve this in 60 seconds, by the way. And so I think that everything you've learned, you now want to teach to others, correct? Yeah. Well, when, you know, it's funny because when I came up with that title, I got so much flack from people, you know, the gurus were like, how is it you're telling people that, that they can find peace and tranquility in less than 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. And I went, well, let me put it this way. How long have you been practicing? 40 years. Great. You should be able to do it in 10. Why is it taking you so long? Why is it taking you so long? And I said, and for the newbie that shows up on the, the spiritual space and all these constructs and rules and cross your legs and wear a hat. And right. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Just stop and breathe. And you're there. And if meditation to you means petting your cat, then so be it. There is no right or wrong way to do something when it comes to spirituality. What, the right way to do it is your way. And if it works for you, who cares what other people do? It doesn't matter. And, I, and so the 60 seconds was, I was trying to, you know, to th I was thinking about that person in, on the 70th floor in New York City that's surrounded by, you know, all day long. You know what it's like. How do I teach them? that they can just take a deep breath and find themselves in a place that is peaceful. New York City is notorious for their fountains in front of these big buildings. The Hilton has a big one, you know? They didn't put it there because it was pretty. They put it there, the architects put it there because the humans need something to, to, to relax them, yet we don't use them. We got Central Park in New York City, not everybody uses it or it'll be packed all the time. It's not, right? So this, I was trying to get people to really realize that you don't have to go to the Himalayas, you don't have to go to the Amazon, you don't have to go to Peru, 
you can find peace and tranquility right where you're at if you choose to. You know, and so the six steps, by the way, the six steps, <laughs> you'll love this. So we're on day 15 of the cor- of the, the, the first quarantine stay home orders in Peru. We were under uh, martial law. So there were military in the streets. You, you did not leave your house. So for 40 days, I didn't see anybody. No employees, no, no, but me and the dogs, me and the animals. I think it was a day 20. I lost it on Facebook. I do in a Facebook live and someone said that I was a horrible person for eating baby pigs because <laughs> I said I needed some bacon. And, and they were like, you're a bad person for eating baby pigs. I just F-bomb everybody on live <laughs> Facebook. Facebook, I mean, I, in retrospect, I probably shouldn't have been live, but I was. And I was like, F you, F you, F you. And then someone says, Daniel, my husband's listening to you. He, he wants to know, are you really saying F you? I said, tell him I said the F off. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear. There was the number one video I did the whole year because people thought there's a guy being real, right? I had lost my cookies. And the reason I bring this up is because after that, I got off social media for a little while, you know, uh, and uh, I realized that something in me said, read your book. Mm-hmm. You wrote, you wrote the plan, follow your plan. And that was, that was the, the, the six steps, you know, to uh, radical mindfulness. And I started reading those and I realized that the reason I was freaking out was because I was projecting into the future what might happen right. or, or, or in the past about why did I give everything up and come here? Because that was the, you know, you use a different word transferring, but I, I call it transmutation. That was the point where I realized like the, the caterpillar becomes a butterfly can never become a caterpillar again. There is a process that one must go through and make a decision that, that the place that they're at and the thing that they're becoming is more important than hanging on to whatever was before and what they think is in the future. And I went through that and it was these steps that kept me sane. Because every time I would freak out about, <laughs> yeah. what am I going to do? I'm like, Daniel, 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 you're living in the Andes of Peru. Right, Go outside. Right, right. <laughs> Relax. You know, and so those steps, you know, the first ones, you know, what do I do? You know, okay, what, what calms me down? Palo Santo. What calms me down? Essential oils. What calms me down? Taking it. The easiest one I can teach is. Yeah. <sighs> Breathe. That's it. Nothing fancy. I don't care what they're selling you out there. Air is free. It may not be good in San Francisco and LA, but it's free. <laughs> it's better here than LA. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. So I'm like, just breathe. Breathe. You know, and, and that was the first step of just calming down. And then I would calm down and I'd say, okay, where are my thoughts right now? Are they in the future, the past, or the present? That's a trick question because if you have to think about it, you're not in present. Right. You know, to get you in the moment, to get you right here, right now. And if you were anywhere but the present, that was, that was your challenge to go, okay, I'm freaking out about stuff that hasn't happened. What they say that, that 80% of what we worry about never comes to pass, that's a whole lot of wasted time and energy. But we do it. Yeah. We all do it. Right? So, you know, those questions, you know, is, is, uh, am I okay right now? That was a big one. Am I okay right now? I think that's number three. Am I okay right now? In this moment, am I okay? Yeah. Nothing's falling apart. House not on fire. I haven't gotten fired yet. Wife isn't gone. Kids are okay. Then what am I worried about? What am I doing? 
Well, because we watch too much TV, too much drama, too much, you know, soap operas, you know, we're just dramatic about everything. Oh, my God, what's going to happen? And we, we, we buy into our own stories, right? You know, yeah. no, everything is okay right now. Actually, it's actually pretty good. I, I'm, I'm healthy. You know, my bills are paid. Um, there's no clients. I, actually, until last week, I had nobody there for 18 months. Right. You know, no income. It's like, okay, something's got to change here. But I just kept believing it's going to be okay. It's like, Daniel, what's the worst that can happen to you? I just say, oh, well, I gave it a shot. Go buy something else. Right. Work out a deal. You know, use my skills. I'll figure it out. I'm not worried about that. That's easy. I don't need to worry about losing this, you know, 20,000 square meter place. If it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. It's okay. There's a lot of pretty places I can go to. What I do have is the clients. That's what I have. And with the clients, you can do anything, right? We're just waiting for the airport to open. And then the next question I would ask myself, well, are the thoughts I'm having right now real? Have they ever been real? I would always ask my clients, because I do a lot of coaching still. I don't ask my clients, dude, what are you stressed out about? I don't know how I'm going to make the money to pay my employees. It's the second of the month. Right. Did you pay them last month? Yes. Has it ever been true that you didn't pay them? No. But I can promise you one thing. That if your mindset stays on not paying them, you can bet because you won't do the things you need to do in the now to get you where you need to be in the future. Again, mm -hmm. stay present. Close that client. Call that person. Well, I don't want to call that person because they got mad at me. Well, they probably got mad at, mad at you because you didn't give them good customer service. Call them anyway. Now, guess what? I closed the deal. Duh. <laughs> it's true. Right. My therapist called that catastrophizing. Yeah. That was where, you know, I, in your brain, it's the second of the month and I've run businesses. So I know what that's like. You know what? Right. Yeah. It sucks. And like you lost your biggest client or two or whatever happened with three phone calls. And now you're like, I can't pay rent. I have this, I have 50 people that. Right. Meeting. And I, mean, I remember my, my partner and I were in, in New York city and we, we were in trouble. This was like 2005 or something, 2004. And to your exact point, and like, dude, unless something major hits, <laughs> we're going to have layoffs in 30 days. Like, we're just going to. And, and he was so spastic. His right knee was just going. <laughs> and, and we had these sandwiches in front of us. We couldn't eat them because our, our guts were grinding. And I think we had too much coffee in the morning. So we were all just sitting there like, oh, dude, it's, we're screwed. It's never going to blow. So I went home. He went home. I'm smoking bowls. I'm trying to forget everything. <laughs> it's like, I, this is, it's over. I'm going to, we're going to lay people off. The industry's going to know we're losers, that we're posers, that we can't hold our own, that we suck. And it was just, you know, and, and we, and that's we, it. Closed, we closed a massive deal two weeks later, changed the game. It was just one of those. What a bunch of energy though. What a lost energy. Well, and I've done that for years. That's yeah. I love this, how easy this was because that question, am I okay right now? There's another, Eckhart Tolle tells a wonderful story of, a client that he was with who's on a bus with him on the way to the attorney's office to file divorce. His wife filed divorce. He has to handle it. And then after that, he has to go to another attorney for his bankruptcy on his business. <laughs> and then he doesn't have a home. So he's like, but how are things right now? Right. Like, what do you mean right now? I'm on a bus and I'm fucked. What are you talking about? <laughs> he was like, but right now you're here with me. You're on a bus. 
and you can breathe and you're healthy. And right. you know, and I, there's a piece of me that's like, I'll kiss my ass after. Right. Yeah, exactly. I'm screwed. I'm screwed. And yeah. about right now. I'm like, right now I'm maybe not dead, but I want to be dead. <laughs> my life sucks. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was just, but I really love that because am I okay right now? And I, anytime I'm catastrophizing in my brain, the thoughts alone move your blood pressure. Absolutely. Right. And, and, we talk about fake news in our culture all the time. Yeah. We have fake news in our brain. Every Absolutely. Right? What do you think they come out? Probably the fake news king. It was the fake news king. Well, but where did these thoughts come from? And that's right. it's like, if you look at where did a politician say something, where did he get his facts? Where are we getting yeah. ours? Yeah. Right. Well, exactly. If you can't locate them, then you're like, well, they're probably full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> so now I can say, oh, okay. And that's the breath. You know, I yes. found out from meditating for me was the neatest thing about it. And where I can actually get present is when I breathe out all the way and there's that moment before you inhale. Yeah. That's peace. It's calm. That's where you come from. That's where breath starts. That's where it ends. And it's like, okay. And if you only do that five times, it actually changes. Absolutely. Your body. Yeah. Yeah. Like all those, that's why I love that. And it's, it's, and then, you know, four is, are your thoughts causing you? To feel like shit. Yeah, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I had a guy once, and I probably shouldn't have done this, but I did. He calls me up. I don't know the guy. I don't know how I even got my number, but he called me, and he says, sir, uh, I'm going to kill myself, but I wanted to talk to you first. Okay. Wow. Where are you at? I'm in Chicago in front of the lake. I'm going to drive my car in the lake. Okay. So what's up? Why do you feel like killing yourself? He says, well, I'm tired of my phone ringing. Bring it all the time. I said, well, I don't, tell me what's going on. He says, well, I have this electric bill and I couldn't pay it. So the electric company says, calling me, calling me, calling me, calling me, calling me, calling me. And I've had it. I don't have the $35. Excuse me. You don't have the $35. And I started laughing. And at the retrospect, I was like, I said, look, I'm not laughing at you. I want to, I want to share with you where I'm coming from. Okay. Just a little bit. You're going to do what you're going to do, but listen, hear me out. I said, are you okay right now? In this moment before you drive the car into the lake, you're okay. You're, you're cool. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me share something with you. Have you ever thought about unplugging the phone? It won't ring anymore. No, (laughs) it will not ring. It will not ring if it's not plugged in. Yeah. So let me share with you something about business. That company is not going out of business on your 35 bucks. As a matter of fact, there are people own 35 million. So what's going to happen with your $35? And I'm not telling you don't pay it. I'm just saying, let me tell you what will happen. They'll send it to a collector. The collector will call you as long as you answer the phone or as long as you leave it plugged in and they'll keep calling you until one day they sell that paper to someone else and it'll get sold five or six times. And the person you owe the money to never even gave a flip about it. It's a business and you want to end your life over $35. And this guy starts laughing hysterically. I mean, laughing. and I said, doesn't that sound a little silly? I mean, Lord, I thought you were going to tell me you robbed a bank and they caught you or something. I mean, come on. Really? Are you okay right now? And he goes, yeah. I said, can you see that maybe this, you're just 
blowing this out of proportion here, $35 may seem like a lot to you. But if you really look at the big scheme of things, then I shared with him, I said, you know, I, I made a di- I did a, um, one of my books, my first book. I talked about doing this big event. And anyway, end of the day was uh, I lost 150 grand that day. I didn't have $150 to lose. And I remember feeling depressed and the newspaper Orange County said I was like the worst whatever. I mean, it was horrible. It was in the news, the whole thing, you know. And I was like, uh, a movie producer called Memphis Daniel. What's going on? I said, I'm depressed. What? Because I owe 150 grand. I owe him $150. He says, um, he says, anybody calling you? I said, no. Has anybody called you? I said, no. He said, do you realize there's no debtor's prison? She don't go to jail for trying. What you go to jail for is hiding. Step back out there and do it again. And keep doing it. And that 150 grand you owe, Run on the internet what people owe. Millions and millions of dollars. Your 150 grand ain't nothing. And that's what I was telling this kid. So we put it in perspective. Are we okay right now? Yeah. Are the thoughts I'm having real? No. What do I need to do to get out of that? Right? You know, and they work. And a lot of my clients use them because they get freaked out. I go, do the six steps and call me. If you, if you get yourself where you need to be, don't call me. But if you need to call me, call me. At the end of the day, it's the tools that we need because society is bombarding us so much all the time, right? I, I always talk about social constructs. I think that we're, they're, they're broken. From marriage to money, it's just broken. Yeah. You know, we need, to, we need to come up with new ways of accepting our, our kids, our parents, our, 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 our family, our friends, and, and not coming from a judgmental place. Uh, our society is judgmental. That's just part of, of who we are. As a matter of fact, if you go around the world, most people don't like Americans. We were just brought up to, I don't care. Right. Make it happen, right? So yeah, those those six steps uh, have saved, saved my own skin. You know, I just remember hearing, read your own book. Ah, I don't want to do that. Follow your own advice. Yeah, yeah follow your advice. That's for you to do, not me. <laughs> No, I, I love that. And, and the sixth step, just to be clear, was to do something to shift the physical energy. Yeah. And the Jump, curly. scream, run, yeah. you know, whatever it is. That, yeah. Whatever you need to do, because if we're stuck, a lot of people sit in front of the computer like this. You know, they're just, they're just, they're scared. They're, they're paralyzed. Yeah. And that's the worst place to be because there's no action at all. You know, and that's where, I mean, anxiety and stress, I would say most of the time, not all times. It's self-inflicted. And where does it come from? Living in the past or living in the future. That's it. That's the only place it comes from. Because if you're present, you realize you can make decisions right now, you know, to, to shift and do something different in your life. And, and those, those steps really made me realize, I mean, my mom's experience got me to radical mindfulness. Radical mindfulness is the ability to stay more present more of the time. That's why it's radical. Because yeah. most people can't do it. When the book came out, I was asked to speak at an ashram. And it hit me when I was sitting up there, when they were about to introduce me, what do I teach a bunch of yogis yeah. about mindfulness? That's all they do. I'm freaking out. Like, oh, what am I going to say to them? What am I going to teach them? But they, are, they already know this is what they do. They meditate. And I'm looking at them and they introduce me. And I, I was like, oh. 
but my nuns are coming out. <laughs> and then something hit me and I said, I love your ashram. It's so peaceful, so tranquil, so beautifully. The energy flows. I said, but I got a question. You have a road that goes out of your ashram into a six-lane road with a light, very close. If you're backing out of that and someone almost hits you, just here, what do you do? Do you flip them off? Do you say, fuck you? What do you do? And they're like this. What do you do? If it's not peace, you have no practice. Yeah. And that's what got them to realize that so what I'm talking about is doing it more of the time. And when we're on the road and things happen, that's when we're supposed to use it. Yep. It's easy to sit at home when you're by yourself and no one's bothering you. But what is it like when you get out in life and someone pulls or pushes your buttons? That's when we have to look at it. That's when we bring ourselves to center. That's when we realize, hey, 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 that person did not get up in the morning Get on the 405 freeway looking for Daniel Gutierrez to cut him off. Right. You think too highly of yourself. <laughs> oh, I love it. And, and there's another story about a guru who has been training under his guru, and they're up at the top of the ashram, and then down the hill, there was a hut. And he decided that he was going to find enlightenment in that hut by himself. And he ate one meal a day, and it was infested with ants and bugs and mosquitoes. And he learned how to find calm. And he began to feel that like he was enlightened. And then the boss man said, hey, by the way, dude, your visa's up. So I need you to run down into the city, get your visa back, deal with all of that. And he's like, okay. So he goes down in his robes and he's in line and there's a really long line. So he's in line and then he gets to the front desk and he says, hi, I'm here to renew my visa. And blah, blah, blah. like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're in the wrong line. So you're in this line. He's like, okay. So then he goes to the next line and he waits in that line for another hour. <laughs> and he gets to the front and they're like, oh yeah, sorry, our bad. It's that line. Who <laughs> <laughs> this is shit? <laughs> about this is ridiculous. I've been in line for two hours. You know, and he's in his monk robes. And right. that, that I just laughed out loud when I read that story. And then there's a meme going around on Facebook where there's an actual monk in New York City in the orange robes. And he just <laughs> to this car that's coming this way and it says even monks lose their shit you know and yeah. I was like yeah it, it's it's part of the enlightenment process that you can teach even people that live in an ashram is right. could you live in Manhattan you know and and that's that's a it's a great great example because it's one of those things where I do get I find myself present over 50% of my life now right it's taking me a long time when I'm with my little boys, I'm present. When I'm with my wife and family and friends. And then when I'm by myself, that's the struggle because that's right. the carnival kicks in, right? It's yeah. Like, hey, hey, hey. The, the monkeys come out and it's like, hey, have you, have you thought of this? And they're like, dude, 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 just hey, hey. You know, so it's those kind of things. But I, I get there and I'm happy that I get there. And it's that is, I'm nowhere near enlightenment. And this is maybe the coolest thing about this chat is that, you know, I read all your stuff and I read, you know, your book and other pieces and articles and watched videos. And I was like, Oh wow, this guy's really there. And 
Now I think you're even more there because you're real and you lost your shit on Facebook, which is great. lies. It wasn't even a recording. It was lies. Well, and that's, that's the kind of stuff that throws me. So I, after I got my press tour going, my, my publicist put me on this show and it was live. And I don't like live anything. Even when I talk to people like you, I'm like, I can edit this out. If it's right. out, I'll like, I'll clean it up. Yeah. I can clean it up. Yeah. It could just be me. But I got on this live stream with this guy and they were talking about my book being a douchebag. And this is my first interview. And I've been I've been on so many different stages in the advertising world talking about advertising at some point. Right. And so I've never really had any issue there because I'm prepared and I'm confident. But I'd never he asked me, he goes, So your dad embezzled your money and your brother died and da 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 and I was like, he goes, Talk about it. <laughs> and it was like pure panic. So it wasn't a full blown panic attack, but it was right. like my body was freaking out. And so my brain went from RAM because there's no access memory to, okay, you wrote a book, just talk about the book. So, well, chapter one, blah, 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 and I didn't say chapter one, but, and I was like, right, this all started kind of this way. And then, blah, 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 and I rambled on for about three minutes. One question. And this poor guy was probably sitting there like, oh my God, what did I do? And, and so I'm sitting there and, and then I realized, like, oh my God. And then I'm thinking to myself, I get off the call and about, I guess about half, halfway through, I kind of calmed myself down and I even said, okay, I'm here. He goes, he goes, oh, that's awesome. And then you should have seen the comments because the first part of the comments were like, this guy is a douchebag. He's right. a douchebag. He doesn't know. He's just talking about himself. And I was just, I don't even really know. I couldn't watch it back because it was so painful. I get off the phone. I talk. I talked to my publicist and she goes, how'd it go? And I'm like, I just puked all over myself on live TV. Like just, I'm embarrassed. And there was 10,000 people watching. So for me, Oh my gosh. I was like, Oh God, that was so bad. And then I couldn't get over myself. Right. I just sat there and I was just like, Oh, and my wife even came out cause she heard me. Cause we're, we live in an apartment together and my kids were in the bedroom. Cause I was on the interview and my wife was in her office and she comes out and she was like, Oh, babe. <laughs> she heard me talking. She's like, you got so nervous. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know what happened. And so the whole rest of the day, I'm just a ball of nerves. Right. And then, to your exact point before about laughing at yourself, the whole purpose, I have Laugh Your Cry Out. It's the name of this podcast. Right. Part of what I talk about in my book is we have to stop taking ourselves so seriously yes. as human beings. Yeah. And when you do, you went back to your book for your to get oh, absolutely um tyrant and i went back to my my own advice around can you laugh at yourself because yeah. if you can laugh at yourself you're kind of done and then i went on an interview the next day and it was with a bunch of media folks that i love so i felt comfortable with and there was only like 50 on the screen so i get on the screen and i was doing a reading i read my prologue and then a chapter that was uh, tangential to our business. It was me and my business partners when we were st starting the ad agency and getting it going. And it was funny and self-deprecating and blah, blah, blah. So I said, well, guys, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I, um, I'm comfortable. And I, as you know, I, I love you guys. And so thanks. Yesterday, uh, I got on a show and I, I rambled for three minutes from one question. And I said, you know who else rambles for three minutes with one question? A meth head. <laughs> <laughs> right and they laugh and i start laughing i was like guys guy just fucked up so bad and yeah. after that I got off that show i was like oh. and it was done it was over yeah. it was about 24 yeah. 24 hours of just 
self-loathing and like yeah. suck. And I, I proved that I was a poser. I proved that I was a loser. <laughs> and it was like, and then I got over it and now I can share it with laughter and right. have fun with it. But that is a big piece of what, you know, all of the sage advice you have in the book. I think the neat thing about it is, is it simplicity? There's no, it is. There's nothing around it that's complex. It's not, no. hey, by the way, you need to sit in a lotus position for six hours straight and you need to chant in a certain tone of om and you need to have memorized every spiritual text that's ever been written, you know, those kind of things. So I, I, I commend you for this. I think it was fantastic. And I, again, thank you for your time because I know you're a busy dude and uh, I will get to your place in Peru. Oh, I would love to have you. This all comes down. I mean, yeah. I talked my wife into it, <laughs> but yeah, I, I would love to go. And I should do ayahuasca. I would totally do that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I, I mean, why not? Oh, I did. Not. Not. And uh, yeah. that was one of the better experiences of my life. Yeah. Outside of the purging. <laughs> well, I mean, the purging process is part of, of our body, you know, releasing the, all the yeah. junk that we hold inside. Right. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate the interview. I appreciate, uh, you know, invite me. I mean, this has been great. I mean, there's nothing more that, that I enjoy than just a couple guys having a conversation without the, you know, the formality. Cause I, I don't do that. Well, I used to do that stuff. I don't do that stuff anymore. <laughs> you know, I prefer just to have a conversation. And like I said, you edit out what you don't like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not editing any of this out. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you dig what we're doing over here, please subscribe. And while you're at it, please download an episode or two and leave a review. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Until next time, big hugs.